Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Financial Father and Son podcast where we explore the various ways the younger generation can achieve financial independence. Hi guys, I hope you guys are all well. Today I wanted to talk about a few different topics. I wanted to talk about a really good documentary, movie type documentary that I saw on Netflix which is very interesting which I'll talk about later. I also want to touch on the TikTok uh, deal that's happening in the States and what I think of it and what it means for the US and, and other countries. And also the very big topical discussion that's happening right now um, came out yesterday, which is the, the HSBC uh, or the FinCEN files that were leaked, which I think HSBC were heavily involved with, uh, a few other banks as well. And uh, that story is kind of evolving a lot. Um, so it's just initially been released, I think, yesterday, which was Sunday, where the, where the files came out through BuzzFeed. And uh, yeah, we'll just talk about that for a bit. So sit back, relax and enjoy. So let's start with the, the Netflix documentary. It's called The Social Dilemma. You may have heard of it. It was on the home screen of Netflix for um, for me and a few friends. And so I think many people would have seen the cover at least if they watched Netflix. And it's basically about how social media is not really what it's advertised as. Well, it, it does do what it says it does. You know, you can keep in contact with people. Um, you can You can message your friends. You can see what your friends are doing on their stories you can read articles and things like that but like the old saying of if 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 you're not paying for the product you are the product it's true in this sense because us the users of social media are not being paid to use the social media product we're not paying to use the social media product but companies who would like to advertise their products and services on social media are paying the social media companies to have, you know, their brand or or their advertisements shown to us. And it's, it's kind of scary how, you know, I didn't realize how big of a, you know, on the back end of social media, how many metrics they have on us, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll see, you know, how long you stop on a particular post for, they'll see what part of the screen you click on. So then, you know, they can take that data and put like a a buy now um, button in in the most touched area to make it easier. Um, You know, they'll do loads of different things like that. And it's, it's quite, you know, it's, it's, it's worrying for the future um, because, you know, people that are born, say 2000, post 2010, they will know no life without social media without devices um you know i'm kind of you know i didn't have a phone uh, when i was i think i got my first phone when i was 13 um when i was or 12 when i was in year 7 i think and it wasn't a smartphone cuz smartphones weren't really that they were they were big then obviously but they weren't um as they are now where everyone's got a smartphone it was mainly just, you know, if you're working, you got BlackBerry or you got an iPhone. Um, I think it was iPhone 3 was out then when I was um, 13. 
but I just got a, a Nokia phone, uh, one of those burner phones, I guess they're known as, and it did the job. I called and messaged people that, you know, I needed to get in contact with. But now it's like, you can't have one of those phones because we rarely call or, you know, SMS. It's all about the apps. It's all about the Facebooks, the the Amazons, the the Apple, Snapchat, um, obviously Instagram and WhatsApp. Forgot about that. But I encourage you all to watch this this documentary because it's, it's eye-opening. Um, it's not even that it's new news either. It's more that Netflix have just kind of packaged all the information around this and and made it appealing to the masses. Because Sean Parker, who was, I think he was early investor. I don't know if he was, if he didn't work at Facebook, but he was early investor of Facebook. Also Chamath Palihapitiya, who was head of growth at Facebook during, you know, their big growth phase, I think from 2012, or he left in 2012, around there. Um, these guys had been talking about what's mentioned in the social dilemma about how social media is these companies are using you and your attention and and they're feeding you the information you want to see so that you stay on this device so that you keep clicking you keep keep liking and you know you get that dopamine effect and you give that dopamine effect to you know your followers and your friends or whatever so they have been talking about this for for a number of years um i think the first time I saw Chamath talk about this was in 2018 at a Stanford talk. And that talk, which I will link in the, the description of this, this episode, is, you know, that, that talk opened my eyes to everything. That was one of the, you know, most impactful talks and speeches I've, I've ever heard, period. And it's about 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Uh, there's an audience there, I think some students, uh, Stanford students, and it's it's kind of like Oxford Union style, but for Stanford. So I do encourage you all to to listen to that or watch that. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. Well, that talk was so interesting and impactful on me that it actually, that encouraged me to stop using or limit my use of social media for a while. Um, I remember, I think it must, yeah, it must have been 2018 when I watched it. I, I deleted the apps like Instagram and Snapchat. I, I kept WhatsApp because I just mainly used that for uh, messaging, you know, family and friends and stuff like that. But deleting Facebook and Instagram and, and Snapchat, I, I quickly realized like how, or I noticed how much less time I was on my phone. There was less screen time because, you know, we were used to just using our phones for for watching YouTube, for for watching Instagram feeds and Facebook and Snapchat. So when you take those things off your phone, there's not much. You know, you don't you don't need to spend that much time on your phone. You just if someone calls you, you answer it, and if a message comes through on on SMS or WhatsApp or something like that from a family or friend, you answer it. Um, which is unlike the social medias because. Snapchat and Instagram will, even if you don't have a notification or, or a message, they'll notify you to say, check what your friend's doing. Your friend's just uploaded. He hasn't uploaded for a while. And they may seem like, oh, they're helpful. You know, I, I, would, I wouldn't have seen that post maybe if they didn't tell me, if Facebook and Snapchat didn't tell me. But actually, if you think about it, it's just the algorithm in the back noticing, oh, you haven't turned on your device for a while you haven't turned on uh, instagram or opened instagram for a while or snapchat or whatever app it is so let's nudge him let's let's 
give him something to maybe increase his chances of opening and using our platform. And then we can, you know, pump some ads to him and make some money off him or her. Um, so yeah, maybe a little bit off topic, <laughs> but it, it, it is so interesting. And I do encourage you all to, to watch The Social Dilemma. And it's, it's not just a documentary. It's kind of like a movie and a documentary there's a storyline to it as well which is it was very unique it was very well shot by netflix i'm not sure who exactly directed it um but netflix uh produced it um and yeah netflix are getting very very good at the documentaries and docuseries like that's for me that's why i go to watch netflix i'm not much of a series guy i've watched a few series one of my favorite most recent ones i watched was ozark which is about money laundering. And, and so you should check that out on, on Netflix if you're interested in money laundering. But I've just seen myself going back to all these docu-series on, on Netflix. Um, another great one was, I think it's called World's Most Wanted. It's like a six-part or a five-part series where they do a deep dive, like an hour's episode into some of the FBI's most wanted people in the world. And, you know, you see what these people have done. You, you see it in detail and there's a, there's a great storyline and a lot of research that's gone into it. So yeah, Netflix have, have become, well, they've always kind of been good at this, but I've just started to notice it more recently. Next, I want to talk about the TikTok uh, deal that's going on with Oracle in the, the US. So basically, Trump came out to say, I think it's a security issue or a data issue if we allow the Chinese company who owns TikTok to, to hold um, the US data in China. And, you know, he thinks that that data should be kept on, on, on US soil. And he's threatened to ban the app, which, or he's threatened to ban the app from the app stores, which he wouldn't get approval for because he can't just go to Apple and Google and say, listen, take that up off the app store. They'll then take him to, to federal court um, and, and argue that because the, how can you go to a company and say, listen, the most um, downloaded app currently, the most used app in time uh, per, per day, just, yeah, take that off the, the app store, please. No, Apple and Google will fight. They will fight Trump to, to, keep, uh, to keep TikTok on the app stores. But I don't really think it's a good, a good move from the US if it goes through or if it doesn't, because... I mean, last couple of days, they keep saying, yep, it's confirmed. And then, nope, the deal's fallen apart. And then yesterday, I just saw, yep, it's confirmed again. So we'll see what actually happens. But the reason I don't think it's a good move from the US is because it now opens up the possibility to countries like India, who have, you know, a huge uh, population. And they have a lot of the users that are for the fine companies, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, um, Netflix as well. And countries like India can say, listen, Trump or America or whatever, that deal you've just done with uh, TikTok, we want the same thing. We want all the data for Indian users of your products and platforms to be kept in India. So we want you to pay our data center companies and, and pay Indian owned companies to keep the data. It benefits India because, you know, more money's kept in the system or it's an influx of money from uh, previously being uh, pumped into the, the America or not the America, America. Because yeah, that's what's currently happening, isn't it? Currently data 
of Indian users, for example, is being funneled back to the States. Of course, some of it will be kept in India. They have to have some local data centers. Um, that's just how the world works now. But yeah, from a from a, a high level view, I don't think it's a, a good deal. Um, and it's not, it doesn't look good on the US's part. I do see why that Trump do, did it though, because, you know, China, they don't allow Facebook in, they don't allow Instagram in, they don't allow Google in. You know, when I went to China last year, before the corona situation we had to download vpns which most of the vpns are blocked so you end up having to download like 10 or 20 vpns before you arrive there and you know if you're lucky a few will work um they're not very fast but you know just to access instagram or google or facebook or whatsapp you've got to have these vpns on your phone otherwise you've got to use wechat or i think it's mainly just wechat I think that's like this, the main system where everything happens through, you know, the Google searches, you can pay when we chat and obviously you can chat to people on WeChat. Um, we did download it or I did download it, but it was, it's one of those things that it takes a bit of time to get used to and a totally new platform. So it was easier just to, you know, use the slower connections through VPNs and then use my existing um, platforms. It got a bit sidetracked there, but what I was saying was um, the fan companies are not allowed in China, right? China's said, no, you can't come in. We're going to create our own copies of what you do and they're going to be Chinese owned. So I do see why Trump has done this or is trying to do this. Whether or not it was executed well, executed well is is a question that we'll, we'll look back on in the future, I guess, when, when the deal ends up happening or doesn't happen or, or is properly analyzed. So yeah, we'll see what happens with this TikTok deal. Don't really use TikTok myself. Not really want to post much on social media either. So that might be one of the reasons why. <laughs> but from, from what I've seen, it's a very, a very addictive application um, from talking to friends and, and seeing online. It's a very fast growing application and user base as well. I believe it spun off from, I think it was Musical.ly before. A few years ago, Musical.ly was around and it then morphed into TikTok. I don't know if the TikTok parent company bought Musical.ly and then renamed it to TikTok or rebranded it. Not too sure, but it has been, you know, the whole idea of uh, making videos to voiceovers and musics videos and songs or whatever it's been done for for many years it was i guess it started on vine um or it got popular from vine but now vine's no longer around so yeah whether tiktok will be here to stay or not i don't know i don't i don't i for some reason don't see it staying for forever but who knows it, it may 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 one it may well end up staying um, yeah, finally, then I wanted to cover the FinCEN files that have been leaked out through BuzzFeed. And I believe it was HSBC was the main bank behind it, but there are quite a few other banks behind it. Um, it's basically a bunch of files that have come out to show that a lot of money laundering and, and fraud and things like that have been happening quite blatantly through um very well-known banking institutions and whether or not these banks did anything about it to try and prevent it 
um, we'll we'll find out later on because as as mentioned earlier this is a breaking story it's just come out yesterday so um just making comments on the information i can see and as time goes on more and more information will come out that will be better than you know the the breaking news stories because breaking news stories tend to just be clickbaity anyway but there is quite a lot of news or information here so one key point was that JP Morgan, or this was one of the transactions that happened within these files that were leaked. So JP Morgan allowed a company to move more than a billion dollars through a London account without knowing who owned it. The bank then later discovered the company might be owned by a mobster on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Um, that story looks to be true from what I've been uh, been searching online. I'll just find the name of that person. Yeah, so I found the name of the guy. His name is Semyon Mogilevich. I've probably butchered that name, but he is a 74-year-old Russian mobster. And he actually is, uh, actually, he's got one of the episodes on the Netflix documentary, World's Most Wanted. And it talks about his, you know, whole story and how they're trying to find him. Um, he's still currently on the most wanted, I believe, on the FBI's list. But yeah, if you want to know more about him, go watch the the Netflix docu docu series. But that's just one part of this this FinCEN papers. Um, there's another story or another part of it which is saying the husband of a woman who has donated 1.7 million pounds to the UK's governing Conservative Party was secretly funded by a Russian oligarch with close ties to President Putin. So there's a lot of, you know, corruption news coming out of this as well. Also organized crime, terrorists and drug traffickers. And, you know, it's all the stuff that we knew was kind of happening. You know, this type of stuff happens. And, you know, obviously a bank, a bank is there or a central bank is there to govern these transactions, right? But they're not going to get all the choices right. They're not going to um, flag every wrong, illegal uh, transaction. It's, it's difficult to do. They've probably got systems and algorithms in place to do so, but the way money laundering works now, it's, it's a lot more uh, complex and, and sophisticated than it was, say, in Pablo Escobar's time. <laughs> I was watching Sky News uh, earlier today about this and, and they were saying on there that there's, they've seen, you know, just in the past day since this news story is broken, not only has, you know, HSBC's share price gone down quite a bit by a fair few percent um, and other banks as well involved with this, but a lot of high net worth individuals are moving their funds from HSBC to other banks. So I guess, you know, people are, are worried about their funds and, and how accessible it will be so they're they're getting out of it as 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 they can it's important to note how a suspicious transaction is is raised in a bank or by a central bank and it's it's done by a thing called a suspicious activity report or sar sar for short and i'm reading online that it says a financial institution is required to file a suspicious activity report no later than 30 calendar days after the date of the initial detection of the facts that may constitute to being suspicious. So the bank will, or the central bank or the bank will, will raise this 
S-A-R, SAR, and it doesn't really mean anything unless action is taken upon them. So in this case, a SAR was raised for all of the transactions listed under these these FinCEN file leaks. So for each transaction there, there was a SAR that was raised, but not much action was taken further than just creating a, a SAR. Otherwise, then, you know, we would have seen a lot of these transactions being, you know, found out to be suspicious earlier and, you know, something would have been done about it. But I also understand that it's not, you know, it's not just one, two, three. It's not very, it's not easy steps to take. It's going to be a lot of back and forth and loads of different government entities that you've got to go to to confirm, is this transaction legit? Should we let this money in? Is this money laundering? And that doesn't just cost time, but it costs a lot of money to... The, the central bank and to the banks so it is understandable but yeah that's just a little bit little bit more information on how um, a transaction is detected to be suspicious well i think that that sums up that topic um it's very interesting these vincent papers i will link some topics and some i will link some links in the description of this episode for you all to go and and watch and listen and read about if you want um, I'm sure if you type in FinCEN, F-I-N-C-E-N on the internet, on Google, it will come up quite quickly because it's quite a big topic that's being discussed now and will be probably discussed for the, the coming weeks and maybe months and maybe years. But yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, a little bit shorter. I'm not with my dad today. Uh, we'll, we'll get him on for, for next episode, hopefully. And yeah, hope you enjoyed today and we'll see you next episode. Bye, guys.